Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Would you please be seated? Our passage this morning is Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, I'm guessing that some of the things Paul said in today's passage may have sounded kind of familiar to you. The strong have an obligation to care for the weak. We should aim not to please ourselves, but to build up our neighbors. We should welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Hasn't Paul said all of these things already? Well, yes, he has. In fact, in our passage today, Paul is summarizing everything that he's been teaching us since way back in chapter 12, all the way up to our passage today. Because that whole unit from chapter 12 all the way up to chapter 15, verse 13, has been one major section of this letter. A section of this letter focused on love. Love your neighbor as yourself, Paul said, for love is the fulfilling of the law. And for weeks now, he's been elaborating on that basic idea. So a lot of this passage is perhaps familiar to us. But I want to focus today on one aspect of this passage that strikes me as rather unexpected. Because as Paul brings this section to love, uh, this section on love, as he brings it to a close, he says a prayer for the Christians in Rome. And did you notice what it is that he asks God to give them? We might expect that he would ask God to fill them with love since that's what he's been writing about for the last three chapters. And of course, it's quite right that we should ask God for love. That's a good prayer. But that's not what Paul does here. It's not what he asks God to give to the Christians in Rome. As Paul brings this section on love to a close, his prayer is that God would fill the Christians with hope. Listen to his closing prayer in verse 13 at the end of our passage. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Hope is the unexpected key word of our passage. And so Christian hope will be the focus of my sermon this morning. I want to ask and answer three questions. First, what is Christian hope? Second, where does it come from? And third, what does it do in our lives? So that's the plan for this morning. First, what is Christian hope? I say Christian hope because when Paul prays to God that we might abound in hope, he's not asking God to give us just any old hope, right? He's not asking God to make us people who are just sort of vaguely hopeful in general, just optimistic or something. No, he's asking that God would give us a specific kind of hope. A hope that is uniquely available to those who have faith in Christ. Now, of course, Christians have all sorts of different hopes, just like everyone else. You use a special laundry detergent because you hope it will get the stain out. 
or you hope to become a famous stand-up comedian one day, or whatever, whatever your hopes are. We all have different hopes, and that's fine. But if you're a Christian, then you have one ultimate hope. One hope that overrules all other hopes in your life, toward which your whole life is directed. If you're a Christian, then your ultimate hope can only be one thing. So what is it? What is it that Christians are living in hope of? Well, in fact, Paul has already given us the building blocks of an answer earlier in this letter. And it's an amazing answer. So let's review what he said here about hope so far. Back in chapter 5, verse 2, Paul said this. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now that's a good answer to the question, what are we hoping for? The ultimate hope of the Christian is in God's glory. Our hope is that God will be glorified. That his goodness will be vindicated against all the forces of evil. That his name will be honored over that of any other rival. We hope in the glory of God. But then listen to how Paul puts it just a little bit differently in chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. Because there Paul said that the whole creation is waiting in hope. In hope for what? In hope that it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Did you catch that? In chapter 5, our hope was in the glory of God. But in chapter 8, our hope is in the glory of the children of God. The children of God. That's us. The children of God is all of us who have become God's children through faith in Jesus. Paul says our hope is in the glory of the children of God. Can that be right? That the object of our hope is not only God's glory, but somehow our own? Yes, it is right. Because as Paul went on to tell us just a few verses later in that chapter, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you remember that wonderful verse? So astonishingly, astonishingly, it turns out that God will glorify himself by glorifying us. That's how God intends to win his victory over evil and to make his name great. By taking lowly sinners like us and making us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. God has chosen to make us like Jesus, so that in the end we will bear Jesus' righteousness and shine with Jesus' own glory. That, brothers and sisters, is the ultimate hope of every Christian. It is to this blessed hope that we hold fast, that we will be made like Christ to the glory of God the Father. Now, before we go any further, there's one thing we have to clear up. Because we use that word hope in a few different ways. Sometimes a hope is just something you wish would happen. Maybe you play the lottery because you hope that one day you'll win win big. And this kind of hope is pretty weak, right? It's a long shot. 
Because, yeah, maybe you'll win, but probably not, right? We know that it's just barely possible that it could happen, but it's very, very unlikely. There's no particular reason to think that it will. So that's one kind of hope, weak hope. But then sometimes we use the word hope to refer to something a little more strong and concrete, something approaching an expectation. Like when we say about a bright, hardworking student that she has every hope of getting into the university of her choice. She has every hope means there's really good reasons to think that this is going to happen. It's not a certainty, but it's a strong probability. That's a strong hope. But when we talk about our Christian hope, we're talking about something that is stronger still. What our Anglican prayer book calls a sure and certain hope. When we hope for God to glorify himself and his children by making us into the image of his son, we're not gambling, we're not taking a long shot, we're placing our hope in something that absolutely will happen. Something that cannot fail to happen. And this brings us to our second question. What is the source of our Christian hope? Where does it come from that we can hold it with such certainty? From God, of course. The God of hope, as Paul calls him. Of course, such a hope could only come from God. And that's why Paul prays to God that he might give it to us. But Paul also tells us something about how God is going to give us this hope, how he's going to answer that prayer. Because God has appointed a way for his people to receive the hope that he so graciously gives. Look with me, please, at verse 4 of our text. Verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Whatever was written in former days was written that through the encouragement of scripture, we might have hope. There you have it. It's through the Bible that Christian people get Christian hope. That's where God gives us the hope that we need. Whatever was written in former days is how Paul puts it. And of course, he doesn't mean literally everything that was ever written in the past. What he means is everything that was ever written in the Bible. The scriptures were written long ago, in former days, in times and places that seem very remote from where we are today, right? But the amazing truth is that they were written for us. For all God's people in every place and time. Written for us that we might have hope. All of it. From the story of creation in Genesis to the story of new creation in Revelation and everything in between. The Psalms, the Proverbs, the laws, the histories, the love poems, the laments, the gospels, the letters like the one we're reading. Everything, everything in there. Yes, the scriptures were written by many different authors over hundreds of years, and each author had his own reason for writing, his own audience in mind. But behind all these human purposes stands the one eternal purpose of God. Behind all those human authors stands the one authorship of the Holy Spirit. So this collection of disparate writings is nothing less than God's one holy word. Every bit of it, 
Every bit of it matters. From those fridge magnet verses, as Father David likes to talk about, down to the totally bizarre bits that we have no idea what to do with. Everything that's written in the Bible, whatever was written in former days, was written that we might have hope. That's the Christian view of the Bible. That's what Paul is teaching us here. That's why we can never, as some people want us to do, ignore any part of Scripture or pick and choose the bits we like. No, Christians joyfully receive the whole Scriptures, whatever was written, Old and New Testaments, as one indivisible Word of God, given to us for one ultimate purpose. And that is to produce in us the certain hope that we will be made like Jesus to the glory of God. That's what it's for. How exactly does the Bible produce that hope in us? Well, let's skip over to verse 8 for a moment. In verse 8, Paul tells us that Christ came into the world to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And I think that's a great little summary of what we find in the Bible. Promises given to the patriarchs, that means to God's people of old, and then confirmation of God's truthfulness in the coming of Jesus Christ. Promises and confirmation, that's what's in the Bible. When we read it, we see God making promises to his people, glorious promises of salvation, redemption, transformation. And then we see his confirmation of his truthfulness as he acts over and over again in history to keep his promises, most especially in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Our hope is a sure and certain hope because it's founded on the promises of God who has proved his truthfulness over and over again. The promises and the confirmation are written right there. They're in the text. And when we read the Bible with attention and faith, then the promises and the confirmation come into our mind and into our heart. And that's when Christian hope is born in us. Brothers and sisters, the more we get to know the Bible, the better we will know God's promises and the better confirmation we will have of his faithfulness. The more you get to know the Bible, the more hope you will have in your life as a Christian. That's why we read and preach the Bible here at church every Sunday, so that you might grow in hope. That's why we hope you read a little bit of the Bible every day or as often as you're able, on your own or perhaps with the other members of your household. If you'd like to start doing that, but you have no idea where to get started, come talk to me or Father David. We'd love to give you some some starting tips. Of course, when we read the Bible on our own, whether it's for the first time or whether we've been Christians reading the Bible for ages, when we read the Bible on our own, it can be hard to understand. Well, that's why we have our group Bible studies that you heard Father David talk about this morning, right? So we can grow in our understanding together. So you heard about those studies. Thursday evenings at 7 p.m., Tuesdays at 10 a.m., the women's Bible study. And I'll just add in, if you're a teenager between the ages of 12 and 17, on Wednesday night, we've got our Students' Night Bible Study, a great place to come and get to know the Bible better. If you want to grow in Christian hope, then come on out, because that's how you will. Hear the Bible at church, read it at home, study it with other Christians, 
Whatever you do, find a way to have the Bible open in your life. Because the scriptures, all of them, were written for you. That you might have hope. And they can't do that if they're just sitting on your shelf. Christian hope is born in us as we get to know the word of God. The Holy Scriptures. But then, and this is our third and last question. What does it do in us after that? How does Christian hope change the way we live day by day? I think we can answer this question, or at least start to, by reflecting on two words that Paul uses in verse 4 and again in verse 5. Endurance and encouragement. Christian hope gives us endurance. It gives us a sure and certain reason to keep going. Not to give up in life or in faith. Now the world gives us lots of reasons to give up, doesn't it? When we're struggling with the circumstances of our lives, it can feel like we have no hope, no future. Heck, when we look at the state of the world around us, the climate crisis, mounting tensions between the world's nuclear powers, I'm sure you can add things to this list, it sometimes seems like humankind may not have much of a future at all. It can seem that way, right? In our moments of greatest distress and despair, we really do face the temptation to give up caring, to give up following Jesus, even sometimes to give up living. But as Christians, we have a reason to endure, a reason to keep going, even through the worst suffering that life could ever throw at us. You may be stuck in a dead-end job with no hope of fulfillment in your work. You may be single with no hope of marriage, or barren with no hope of children, or lonely with no hope of making a friend. You may be terminally ill with no hope of recovery. But brother, sister, you may be the most no-chance, no-prospects, hopeless dead-ender on the whole planet. But if you are a Christian, then you have a great hope. You live in the sure and certain hope that you will be made like Jesus Christ and that God will glorify himself in you forever. That is an amazing hope to have. If you have that hope, then you have the greatest reason possible to endure the struggles and the tragedies of this world. Even if every worldly hope is taken away from you, you have the greatest reason ever to keep going, to endure to the end. There's something else that can tempt us to despair. Perhaps you're tempted to despair not so much by the state of the world or the external circumstances of your life as by the darkness of your own heart. Maybe you're stuck in an addiction that you, can't just, you just can't seem to quit. Maybe you're stuck in a pattern of sin that you just can't seem to break out of. Maybe you're a murderer or an adulterer or a blasphemer. Maybe you come to church every Sunday needing to confess yet again that you have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. But if you're a Christian, you can endure even that. You can endure your own weakness and your own failures. 
Because you have a sure and certain hope that these things will not have the last word. Sure, there's nothing in you that would suggest you'll ever come anywhere close to Christ-like righteousness. There's nothing in you that would justify that hope. But that's okay. Your hope isn't founded on you. It's founded on God's word. And when you hear in God's word that he sent his son into the world for no other reason than to save sinners like you, that all those who believe in him are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that those whom he's predestined he's also justified, and those he's justified he will not fail to glorify, when you hear God promise these things, and when you're reminded that nothing has ever stopped God from keeping his promises, then you have hope. And that hope gives you strength to endure even your own repeated failures. Not to give up. Because as hard as it is to imagine, one day God really will make you glorious, perfect in the image of Jesus Christ, his son. Christian hope gives us a reason to endure. And more than that, it gives us encouragement. Christian hope encourages us to live in Christian love. You remember I mentioned at the start of this sermon that our passage today comes at the end of a section on love. And it's kind of surprising that Paul ends this section on love with a prayer for hope. Well, here's the connection, I think. When Paul wants to show us how to love, he points us again and again to Jesus Christ, doesn't he? We see it many times even in this passage. The strong have an obligation to bear with the weak because that's what Jesus does for us. Let's not live to please ourselves, but to build up our neighbor for his good, just like Christ did for us. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You hear that pattern, right? As Christ has loved, so too Christians must love. Paul uses this pattern again and again in his practical teaching. He wants us to imitate Christ To love as Christ loves. And it makes sense, but isn't it just so intimidating? Isn't it intimidating to hear that Paul expects you to love like Jesus loves? Because when it comes to loving people, Jesus Christ is a pretty hard act to follow. Love like Jesus loves? We can't do that, can we? What could possibly give us the boldness, the gall, to even try and imitate Jesus? Christian hope. It's Christian hope that gives us the boldness to try Christian love. Because God has promised that he's at work to make us into the image of his son. That process will be completed at the resurrection when Jesus returns, but it's begun even now as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts day by day. We have this hope that, unlikely as it seems, we will one day be like Christ. We will one day love as Christ loves. And that gives us the courage, the encouragement, to start imitating Christ now. We won't be very good at it. But we have this sure hope that one day, by the grace of God, we will be perfect images of Christ's own love and righteousness. We have the courage to try what would surely be impossible for us to achieve on our own because we know that God has promised to make it possible 
by the power of his spirit. So Christian hope gives us endurance in the face of a hopeless world. And it gives us courage to make a start of learning Christ-like love. That's what Christian hope does in our lives. And when we live like this, we begin to bring glory to God even now. So our hope is in God's promise that he will conform us to the image of his son. We grow in that hope and in our certainty of it the more we get to know the scriptures. And that hope produces in us endurance and encouragement. Let me close now by praying for us here at St. Aidan's the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Christians in Rome so long ago. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. Amen.